Vacation alert from the three-row Jeep Grand Cherokee L. Mama and Papa want to go hiking. Los abuelos want to relax at the beach. And the kids want to go to the amusement park. With seating for up to seven, you and your loved ones can enjoy all these adventures and more. Jeep, there's only one. Visit jeep.com to learn more. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when your fantasy league meets up at your house. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this is anything but a fantasy. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state. Based on coverage selected. Subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. CeraVe Facial Moisturizers with SPF protect skin against damaging UV rays and continuously deliver three essential ceramides to help restore skin's protective barrier so it can lock in moisture. Non-greasy, fragrance-free, and won't clog pores? With CeraVe, skin feels hydrated and looks healthy all day. CeraVe Facial Moisturizers with SPF. From the number one dermatologist recommended facial moisturizer brand. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. My name is Simon Bromley and this is another episode in our Ride Strong in 2021 series. Today, we're joined again by Tom Bell, professional cycling coach and elite mountain bike racer to discuss training plans, why you should have one, and more importantly, how to build one for yourself. Tom, welcome back to the Bike Radar podcast. How's life? Uh, Yeah, thanks, Simon. Uh, Life's good. Thank you. And uh, thanks for having me back on the podcast. So the last time you were on, we talked about fitness testing and how you could kind of generate some performance baselines for yourself that would then feed in to what we're going to talk about this week. And so... Like I say, we're going to talk about training plans and what you can kind of do with the information that you've gleaned from those fitness tests and then how you can kind of put that into a training plan and hopefully make some kind of meaningful improvements over the season by having a kind of plan as opposed to just kind of, you know, going out and riding whenever you feel like it. So kind of based on that, let's start with that broad kind of broad question. Why should someone have a training plan as opposed to just riding whenever they feel like? So if you have a destination in mind, um, you know, a target or an aim with your cycling, it's uh, much like going on a journey in a car. So you need to um, know where you're starting from and where you're going. And then having a training plan is much like having a roadmap. So it's um, it's going to help you get to where you want to go uh, in the most efficient way possible and hopefully without doing uh, too many wrong turns along the way. And I think, you know, the, the really key point there is, is about knowing where you want to go, right? So kind of having a goal or, you know, maybe a kind of series of goals is kind of is going to be key to, to having a training plan, isn't it? So how would you, you know, what, what kind of makes a good goal and how would you kind of go about uh, setting that goal for yourself? Yeah, so actually I find when setting goals um, in a cycling training context, uh, taking some cues from the business world is actually quite a good way to do it. Um, you know, uh, people in business are always setting goals and objectives and um, 
following some of their leads can uh, can be really helpful. So um, there's a kind of uh, method called SMART, which I think quite a few people are familiar with, um, standing for specific, measurable, um, achievable, um, relevant, and time-bound. Um, so you can sort of tie these things uh, into the goal to make sure that um, you're clear on what that goal is and then actually when you've achieved it or when you haven't achieved it um, you know you, you're going to know that because it's set in a date and you've got all these other things tied to it yeah and I think like you say you know one of the key you know like all of those things are key points but I guess one of the key points you know the achievable aspect is a key point right I mean there's no use you know me saying well I want to win the Tour de France because obviously that's just you know it's, it's just <laughs> it's not achievable for me so having a kind of you know a, maybe like being um yeah i don't want to limit people's ambitions but at the same time you know as you say you need to be kind of like realistic and and it needs to be achievable and and like you say you need to achieve it within the kind of time period uh that you you know that we have available and that's generally i guess you know i suppose a you know a a season a cycling season so um you know i guess like i'll to give an example suppose for me like my my kind of uh goals this year are kind of to kind of get back to the kind of general area of fitness that I think I'm capable of and then put that, turn that into kind of decent performances in time trials. And, and I think, you know, that's, that sounds very vague right now, but what I'm hoping to do is kind of take that into kind of early season races, set some times, and then from there set some achievable benchmark times further into the season and then take my training from there. Does that sound about right? Yeah. So I think, um, what you, what you were first describing there is more of like an aim. So, you know, a a broad idea of where you want to go, which is a good, a good place to start. And then what you can do is, um, you know, look more into what that is going to take and then build some goals that actually will help you to get there. So whether those are, you know, performance-based goals, um, so, you know, a, a threshold power figure or something along those lines, and then maybe some goals tied to a few other things that are going to affect performance. So maybe improving your, you know, uh, race day psychology or your nutritional practices or, you know, something to do with your recovery uh, between workouts. Those would be probably be good goals to get you to ultimately achieve what you want uh, yeah. in that way. So do you think it's worth having kind of multiple goals in that sense, you know, because if you're just, you know, say you're gearing up for the kind of, you know, tap the tour, if that takes place this year, you know, that might be kind of like, well, I want to finish in a certain time uh, at, at this kind of big sport eve. Uh, that could be the kind of main overriding goal. But obviously that only comes around, you know, once in the season, for example. So is it worth having sort of stepping stone goals along the way to, you know, to kind of make sure you're on track and to keep you motivated, that sort of thing? Exactly. So I think this goes into the wider um, conversation of how you make a training plan. I'm sure we'll get into that. But yeah, that would be a case of sort of splitting, t- taking the time from where you are now to where to, to the time of the goal happening. So the date of that uh, sportive, for instance, and then breaking that up into segments and having uh, goals attached to each of those segments and even potentially each of the weeks that, that make up those individual segments as well. Okay. So let's get, you know, say I'm sat down with my kind of, you know, my, my Excel spreadsheet or my calendar or my, you know, my, my kind of pen and paper. Um, how are we kind of, what's the start, what's the kind of starting place for someone who's kind of building their own training plan? You know, is it worth kind of, you know, looking at, you know, kind of free training plans that are available from say, like an organization like British cycling, or, you know, maybe kind of if you, if you have, 
uh, an account for something like Zwift or Trainer Road, sort of looking at those and, and maybe taking inspiration from those or, you know, obviously even consulting a professional coach like yourself. Like what's the kind of, what's the kind of starting point? Like are the building blocks of a plan, you know, where, where should a, where's, where's someone with no experience, where should they start? Yeah, well, as I said, kind of at the start and comparing it to sort of like a car journey, I think um, it's a good place to to begin to know what those goals are. So essentially where you're going um, and then gather some information around where you're actually starting from. So I think we talked about that on the last podcast of maybe fitness testing or finding out some kind of information as to, to, to where you are currently. Um, and then generally, you if you're creating that plan for yourself or, or looking for a plan, you generally want going to want to work backwards from from that date, um, you know, from the from the date of the sportive, the date of the uh, whenever the goal's happening, um, to plan to plan in those necessary blocks that are going to take you from from A to B. Um, so having a plan where you can see, you know, a nice progression um, across that across that gap, um, and uh, being able to kind of map out. The, the different steps um, that you're going to take to actually to actually get there in, a, in an efficient way and I think you know you, you touched on there like that kind of idea of progression is 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 really important isn't it and and obviously if you're kind of you know we, we talked about again talked about this last time if you're training with a power meter then the kind of progression aspect comes from you know tracking your training load and making and, and is it is it kind of a simple matter of simply you know increasing your training load as you kind of build closer to the event or, you know, are we kind of, is it, is it better to kind of break it down more specifically, you know, cause it's, cause it's very easy when you have a power meter and I've done, I've been guilty of this in the past to fall into the idea of that more training load is always better, but that is that necessarily the case? Um, yeah. So it's going to be very hard uh, to sort of linearly just uh, increase fitness, increase training loads sort of from that A to B point. Um it's going to come more in waves where the the dip in the wave is going to be, you know, a chance for you to recover and actually make those adaptations to the training stress. Cause we talked, again, we talked about that in the last podcast that you only, uh, you know, you get fitter when you rest. So the, the training is the stimulus and then the rest is where the adaptation happens. So you go, as I, as I was saying before, you kind of want to split that plan up into blocks so that you can, in, in each block, you can plan, you know, a, a bit of an overload, a bit of an increase in, in training load, um, but then also a, um, a, a subsequent recovery period so that you actually um, make those make those positive changes that you can then go into the next block and hopefully increase the load a little bit more because you're starting from a slightly, you know, a slightly elevated fitness level. And how long, you know, when we're talking, when you say like, you know, we have those blocks, how long kind of ideally, you know, say you've got, you've got a good few months before your event, you know, would we, would we sort of say like a block is a month and we take sort of three weeks of kind of training hard with one week rest, or is that, is that going to be too much overload for some people? So that's going to really depend on each individual's kind of uh, circumstances. So how much time they have for training, but also how much uh, time and energy they have for recovery you know people sometimes people can fit in sort of 10 hours of training time but if the rest of that rest of that time when they're not training is really stressful with work and family and they're just got a really busy lifestyle then it's sometimes better to have a lower training load and more recovery time in, in that case um, in terms of the blocks having sort of a three week on uh, one week off structure is uh, a way that most people do it and it seems to be quite a quite an effective kind of default 
uh, if you really if you're really sort of starting from a lower level you're really busy it might be sort of two weeks on and one week off or if you're more experienced it, it could go potentially a bit longer than that and when we say a kind of you know a week off we don't necessarily mean you know don't touch the bike for a week do we no no it's um it, yeah when, when you say recovery week it it it, it it could be more sort of a recovery period and what you'll ideally do is monitor your feelings versus some sort of other metric like heart rate or power if you look look you know lucky enough to have a power meter um and just see when those you know when those numbers start to realign to what what they're like when you're sort of under normal circumstances you know you're not too fatigued so that you're you're not sort of leaving too much on the table you're not resting for too long and losing some of those adaptations that you've made but uh, on the flip side, you're not coming back to inducing a training stress too soon. So you want to kind of look at a few metrics to indicate to you when when you've done enough recovering, basically. Yeah, and I think metrics are kind of one of those things that cyclists are kind of both blessed and cursed with in the sense that because we have power meters and heart rate monitors and GPS devices, you know, we're kind of flooded with an avalanche of uh, metaphors and metrics um, for kind of tracking training load, but are there kind of, you know, what are the kind of, you know, if you're training with a power meter, firstly, what are the kind of key metrics, you know, we want to be kind of tracking over the course of our training plan. And also conversely, if, you know, if you don't have a power meter, what kind of things can we use to replace that? You know, can you use, uh, say perceived exertion, if you don't have anything time on the bike, you know, is heart rate a kind of viable option for kind of tracking training load? Yeah. Um, so in terms of power, power meter data, um, most of the sort of online training programs, you know, even sort of Strava, but also sort of training peaks, today's plan, you know, some, all the ones that are sort of commercially available have some way of kind of measuring, you know, some, some algorithms to measure your fitness. Um, usually that's sort of on a rolling average of your training stress over, over the last month or something like that. Um, and that can give you a good indication um, as well as you know, in combination with fatigue, as to how fast or slow that that fitness is progressing. Um, and then, as you said, if if you don't want to get you know too in the weeds with all that data and analysis, um, just using yeah heart rate, um, seeing the trends over time with your heart rates, and then matching that with your perceived exertion of um, or, or just your general feeling of how you know whether you're feeling faster, whether you're feeling slower. Um, and how fatigued you are sort of on a day-to-day basis um, can all can all be useful information to to tell you that kind of thing. Great. Okay, so let's get into the kind of like nitty-gritty of um, what kind of training you should be doing. Now, I think you know, I, th- I think having had a previous conversations with you, you're kind of a, a big proponent of polarized training. So. Firstly, you know, could could you define kind of like what is a polarized training plan, you know, and and kind of like why why is it good, you know, what does the science say about it? Yeah, um, I think a polarized model. So to to de- to define it, first of all, it's um, the idea that most of your training will be done um, at a low intensity. Um, there won't be too much going on or too much time spent in that that sort of middle zone. Um, that's usually around the kind of threshold area um and then a smaller but fairly still you know still a significant amount of time spent um above above that threshold in the the high intensity zone so it's you know you're spending training time at both ends of the 
you know, both ends of the spectrum, hence why it's sort of called polarised, because that intensity distribution is literally kind of polarised with not too much going on in the middle. That's distinct from more of a threshold model, which is spending lots and lots of time at the threshold and, you know, not as much time in those in those other two extremes. Um, and the science seems to suggest, and our, our experience with working with like a lot of athletes over the years, is that it's it's a good place to start. It's, um, it's a, you know, the science certainly shows that in a lot of cases with both top performers and those that are, you know, more amateur cyclists, um, it tends to be a, a good framework to start with, even if not in every single case, uh, it, 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 you know, it might need adapting um, and individualizing to the person, but it's a good place to start generally. Yeah. And I think it's the kind of training we tend to associate with the pros and, you know, and so in one sense you think, well, you know, if that's what the fastest people in the world do, then it must be good. But the, the kind of counter argument to that is like, well, they could, they can train that way because they have, you know, unlimited time, not unlimited time, but you know, they don't have, their job is to train. So does it, you know, does it, I think you kind of touched on it there, but does it still work? Uh, does a polarized training plan still work for people with kind of limited time to train? And by, I guess by limited time, I'm talking kind of maybe a maximum of 10 hours a week. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, again, the, the sort of anecdotal evidence and the sort of larger scientific studies seem to suggest that it does translate uh, from, you know, those with higher training volumes down to those with lower training volumes. Um, it does need adapting and there there is something to be said for using sometimes a little bit more intensity just to make up for that lack of sort of total volume. But um, it is important to know that intensity can't generally be used as a substitute for, you know, all of that volume. Um, you, you've got to try and when you're limited on training time, you've just got to try and do what you can with that with that time. But it, it you have got to understand that, you know, it's not going to be the same as if you had sort of 30 hours and just riding really hard all the time isn't uh, isn't going to okay fully close that that gap it can't be used really as a substitute because the adaptations are very different um and what you need to do to stimulate those changes is very different um yeah and i think yeah no i I completely understand that i think you know again because there's another thing that i've fallen victim to and you know and when i when i say that like i you know i don't don't, i'm not embarrassed by that in, in any sense because i think anyone who kind of trains hard is gonna you know it's important to try things out right and you should you know the failure you know i keep trying to tell myself this but the failure is not the problem it's it's kind of like an opportunity to you know to like see what what worked what didn't work and you know kind of take take away things from it and discard other things and you know you kind of move forward knowing a bit more but certainly in the past i've been guilty of trying to fit in more intensity to make up for a kind of lack of training time but in my experience it just makes you tired it, it, yeah, it, it can do, I and mean, it can just it can just sort of skew your um, you know the strength of your different energy systems slightly in the wrong direction, um, especially if you're stepping over that threshold too often. Um, you know, it, for a lot of these sort of events, um, you know, endurance cycling events like we're probably going to be talking about, and a lot of the listeners are probably uh, preparing for. You know, it's your aerobic system that's going to be the biggest determinant of your performance there. And if you're sort of smashing it all the time, um, that's going to be that's going to end up being very underdeveloped. And this these other you know uh, systems that are um, make you fast, you know, over um, short durations, but uh, are very uh, much less efficient, are going to be potentially overdeveloped. So it just ends up being that the the 
the sort of profile of what you're looking for um, goes in that goes slightly in the wrong direction sometimes. Yeah, and I know it's a bit of a cliche to talk about kind of base and building foundations and and sort of all of these words. But again, like I, I've found in the past when I've kind of focused on doing lots of uh, threshold work and, and and that sort of thing, that you do often see quite quick improvements. But then you reach a point at which obviously you know, you've kind of maxed out your training time and you've maxed out the amount of intensity you can do. And, and you know, as you touched on earlier, you've kind of maxed out the amount of re- recovery you can do. And then you don't really, I find that you don't really have anywhere to go from, from there. And then that becomes a kind of a problem because you either have to carry on doing that same level in te- of intensity to maintain that fitness, which obviously, you you know, you risk getting tired or you kind of have to take a step back and, you know, recover and you know detrain and then start the whole cycle again and it it, so i find you're not necessarily building sustainable fitness and you know maybe even it's a slightly lower peak than you might expect if you were as you say doing sort of larger volume at lower intensities yeah yeah that's it um you you know the high intensity training takes longer to recover from um you know the 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 you know what happens in the body to make those adaptations just takes a longer amount of time so if you're time limited already um and you may be sort of limited in your capacity for good recovery if you train harder and harder you know you'll just get more and more fatigued and potentially you know the fitness will just stagnate because you're not allowing enough time for the um, adaptations to occur and then your training volume goes down your training consistency gets broken and the consistency and the, the and the the volume of training are two of the biggest you know determinants of uh, how fit you can actually get and how high that performance can go. So you're kind of at that point ruining some of the you know those those sort of two main elements. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, for, for me, consistency is one of those massive, massive things that I think many people overlook. And and certainly when I've been my fittest was when I was commuting half an hour in the morning and half an hour in the evening, five days a week, every single day. And, you know, I was just noodling to work every single day. But that kind of, you know, if you add that up, that's five hours of training every single week, no matter what. And then anything else I did on top of that was, you know, a bit of a bonus. But just having that consistent low level training load just did absolute wonders for my fitness. And, you know, I, I still like even, you know, obviously I was slightly younger then and, you know, I, I, did, I rode a bit more. But like I found it made such a big difference having that consistency. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the the low intensity training as well is it's important that to know that that's, you know, that's that is really effective training and it does contribute to to your, you know, total performance. And it's, it's quite nice training. You don't have to stress too much. You know, it's, uh, it's quite enjoyable. Uh, but you can, you know, you can be doing enjoyable training that doesn't feel too hard, but that is actually contributing um, and doing, doing good things for your, for your fitness. Let's take uh, a kind of example. Let's let's do an example week, uh, and we'll we'll go for the kind of time crunch cyclist. Obviously, we maybe touch a bit on you know those people who are lucky enough to have loads of time afterwards. But we'll just just kind of assume that most people listening to this uh, are not professional cyclists, and they have to you know work a kind of you know a full time job. So let's say if you've got five to eight hours a week, what how could how would you kind of structure a typical training week? So I think a good structure that we again, a bit like a polarized model kind of default to, um, if you take, you know, the typical working cyclist who will have a job sort of from, uh, nine to five ish, uh, 
from Monday to Friday and then maybe a bit more time on the weekend. Um, the Monday will typically be you know, an easy day because you're assuming that uh, you're coming off uh, a weekend where you've got more time to train, so you've, you, you've used that training time. So the Monday might be an easy day. Then because you're fresh after the easy day, you might go into more of a, a higher intensity day on the on the Tuesday where you, you do sort of some of your week's uh, interval training, for instance. Um, you then might follow that up either with another interval session if you're doing a little bit of a block or maybe just a, a steady ride, you know, that zone two aerobic endurance sort of level. Then that would be that would be two training days there. Um, so that then you're up to Thursday. That might be another rest day. Um, and then you might do some intervals Friday and then use the weekend to do some, some longer hours at a, at a lower intensity. So even if you're coming off of that Friday interval session a little bit tired, you can still have the intensity quite low, but still be achieving the, you know, the aims of what you're trying to do with those, with those long rides on the weekend. So maybe the Saturday ride is a longer one, maybe three hours, for instance. And then the, uh, the Sunday might be, uh, another two hours just to add on to that. And then that kind of, uh, basic week structure might then, you know, repeat from there. And so when we talk about kind of high intensity days, um, what kind of thing are we looking at now? like I said last time, we, we talked about kind of defining your training zones. So if you have a power meter, you might have defined your kind of critical power or your functional threshold power. And so from those, you'd have, you know, kind of training zones. But when we talk about high intensity, are we talking about kind of around threshold or above threshold kind of anaerobic capacity? What, what do we, what do we kind of mean when you say like a high intensity interval day? Yeah. So, so really all the, the details of those intervals will really depend on a few different factors. So where you are in the training plan, whether you're sort of more towards the start and you're getting, you're just getting into the training, um, or, or whether you're closer to the event, whether the interval training might be more specific to what the demands of what you're preparing for. Um, it's also going to depend on how, you know, your, um, physiological profile as well. So if you're particularly strong or weak in a certain area, um, you might be training, you know, more more in one way than another. Um, but ultimately, ultimately, the interval training is informed by, uh, yeah, what what you're like as a as an individual and what what your strengths and weaknesses are, and then the demands of what you're actually preparing for um, are, are the two main ones. And then also the third being where you actually are in that process. Okay, so let's take you know we'll, we'll take me as an as an example um, and say if I'm training for sort of 10 mile time trials and 25 mile time trials, obviously, you know, for a 10 mile time trial, that's basically done all of it above threshold. So do I, you know, do I want to be, you know, say it's like, it's just the start of February now, do I, on my kind of high intensity days, do I want, if I, do I want to be training in that, you know, super threshold zone? I would say that's a good, that's a good kind of intensity to work at. Um, it, yeah, it's kind of a super threshold, kind of just above the threshold, but not quite up to an intensity intensity that you would typically use for like VO2 max work, for instance. Um, it allows you to do some fairly long intervals, but at a, a, a lactate level or, you know, a level which is producing um, fatigue and metabolites, um, quite, quite rapidly. So you're forcing the body essentially to work under those conditions and take action to kind of clear them and shuttle them away. Um, and that's, that's a really good, a really good stimulus where you can actually spend quite a lot of time in that, in that high intensity zone, um, rather than being actually at your threshold where 
you're you're not forcing your that you know that the lactate and all these things aren't accumulating so you're not forcing your body as much to actually sort of take evasive action if that makes sense <laughs> yeah I, I guess like like you say you know that kind of using that principle of principle of progression and overload you, you know you have to you have to put some stress on your body somehow don't you i suppose and and, and, that, and that's in order to trigger that response uh, from the recovery yeah definitely um and as i said that that kind of um that stress that you put on will depend on what time of the what time of the season you're in and what stage you're at um but uh but but yeah it's a, it's about applying the right kind of stress to get the the adaptations that you need for for whatever you're preparing for so you mentioned earlier tom um that you know one of the the key things in any training plan is is recovery and obviously you know you only as you, as you said you only kind of get fitter when you recover from the training stimulus um so when you've got limited time to train, it often follows that you have limited time for kind of really key recovery because you're probably not going to get five hours after you've come home from training to lie on the sofa all day. So what are the kind of things that amateurs should be doing to kind of improve their recovery from their training? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is to focus on those 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 big factors rather than the uh, the nuanced stuff straight away. So the big the big things are going to be uh, sleep, uh, nutrition, and then trying to just reduce general life stress as much as possible. Um, once you kind of get those uh, set in stone and you, you're doing a good job with those, then you can start to look at uh, some other methods that that might give you that you know, final few percent, but the, those, those two or those two or three, uh, big ones are going to get you most of the way there. Um, so they're, they're, they'd be the things to focus on, uh, initially. Yeah. And I think for me, kind of improving my sleep quality is, was always, you know, and remains a kind of like a really massive thing whenever I'm kind of training hard. And, uh, you know, they're obviously team sky, uh, now team Ineos had that there was that very funny story a few years ago I remember when Richie Port took his own camper van to the Giro d'Italia to obviously try and improve the kind of consistency and quality of the bed he he slept in every night and um and obviously everyone laughed at them but actually I thought that was a really good idea because for me having a kind of you know good pillows blackout curtains kind of staying off my phone before I go to bed and you know as as you kind of said looking at the bigger picture just going to bed an hour earlier than you otherwise would and not just kind of staying up watching tv you know, those sorts of things make a really, really big difference. They do. They do. They're, they're the things that are going to get you uh, 90% of the way. Um, and then you can then look at uh, other methods to get the, uh, you know, the extra 10%. Okay. So let's touch now on the kind of the lucky time, time rich cyclists. You know, if you, if you, you know, if you've got loads of time to train for whatever reason, how would a kind of typical training week differ from the one we kind of discussed previously? Well, it could definitely be set out in a fairly similar way. You know, you're going to want some recovery in that week, you know, as a staple. Um, and the, the funny thing is actually that the professionals, um, even in just total riding time, do a similar amount of high intensity, if not a lower amount of high intensity than uh, the, the overkeen amateur who's sort of uh, trying to up the intensity in most of the rides in a week. So. Um, the structure could be fairly similar, actually. Um, it would just be that those those rides are, are longer. So instead of a, an interval session maybe being an hour max for your time crunch cyclist, that might be intervals within a two or a three hour ride. And then the following sort of or the endurance rides that are in there might be sort of up to four or five hours plus, whereas for 
again that time crunched uh, time crunched cyclist they might be three hours might be the the limit um that might be the longest ride of the week and then the others might be sort of in that two hour range so it's um it's the the main difference is more more low intensity time basically yeah and i think we've touched on this before in previous conversations that if you do have lots of time to train it is important to make sure that the majority of the training you're doing is at that kind of low intensity, because if you try and do too much of that high intensity with all of that time you've got available, you know, you're going to quickly find out that you're not able to do it. Yeah, that's it. So if you take the idea that training volume is a massive um, factor in how uh, high your performance can actually go, then you you need to design the training in order to achieve that. And if you, if the intensity, you know, if the intensity is too high, you'll very quickly find that it's just not sustainable. You're just getting way too tired. Um, and even with all of that recovery time that you might have as a pro or, you know, someone, someone with a lot of, uh, a lot of time available to them, even that is, uh, you can't rush the adaptations that, you know, you can't rush the adaptive response, um, or the adaptive response times that your body, that your body needs. Okay. So let's talk about kind of, um, we've got our typical training week. We, we you know, we've got our blocks now, you know, we kind of got our goal in mind, you know, how far ahead should we kind of be planning our training plan? You know, say, you know, say, our, say my, you know, say your goal is to something like the Adaptator and, you know, I, I guess that would be around um, July or something like that. You know, we, we've still got kind of four months or so building up to that. Now, obviously that sounds like, you know, a fair four or five months we've got that sounds like a fair chunk of time do we want to be planning out kind of every day in our training plan at this stage or is it kind of worth planning out on you know maybe a monthly basis and then revisit the plan in a month's time and see where you are etc you know what would you suggest so i would say um as as we said earlier start to try and work backwards from the date um and then those kind of blocks and those kind of uh, periods um close to the actual um you know, date of the sportive or the, the competition in the future can be quite vague. You know, you can pencil those in just as long as you have an idea of, you know, what's to come. And then you get more and more sort of detailed, more and more specific as you get back to the present day. And then generally speaking, planning out that that current uh, mesocycle or mesocycle, um, that, that block of training weeks um, that you're going to tackle kind of, you know, right now uh you can that you can plan that out in quite quite a lot of detail and that would be i would say plan out maybe th- you know the next three to four weeks so that you can manage your time quite effectively and, and see what's coming up okay and in in the kind of you know scattered in the training plan somewhere we're gonna have to have more fitness testing aren't we to, to kind of benchmark ourselves and see how you know whether we're improving or we're not improving or you know staying the same like how often should we be testing our fitness along along the kind of path to our goal yeah so so coming back to that sort of uh you know a drive where you need to know your destination and the the roadmap to get there um the fitness testing essentially acts like you know you, you checking every now and again that you've not gone off the right road um that you that you're on the the most efficient path to get to where you want to be so um, I generally find that um, fitness testing maybe once every kind of eight weeks. So maybe if we were looking at um, a four-week block, maybe doing two of those kind of blocks and then and then reassessing your fitness using the right test to actually show you um, if you've made improvements in those key areas. Um, so that then you can you can assess. Okay, have I made an improvement? And if I have, then 
great what what got me to improve to that level um if i haven't then what have i been doing wrong potentially what could i have done better and what can i do in that next period between the next test to actually get back on that right road and uh, and improve essentially yeah and i think that's one of the really key things is to be you know for for me I and mean, you know we talked about this a little bit in in our kind of fitness testing podcast is that the kind of your thoughts and your feelings and your kind of perceived exertion around uh your training sessions and your training plan are kind of just as important as the kind of uh objective metrics like training load and you know your kind of average power because when you're looking back at a kind of a phase or a, you know a bit of your plan where something's either gone really well or it hasn't gone really well you know you kind of it's useful to to know what you were doing and why you think that worked so that you can then apply it or not apply it to your next phase. Yeah. Yeah. So, so leaving, leaving yourself some feedback on, you know, maybe not every ride, but certainly the key sessions or ones that went particularly well or particularly badly is a, is a really good thing. You can then just, when you do that fitness testing, you can look back, you can also, you know, do do an exercise where you look back over that last eight weeks and just, just make some notes on you know what seemed to work, what what you enjoyed, what didn't work, um, and then you can just keep iterating the plan as you go, and hopefully the plan gets better and better and more more and more individualized to you as you go. Yeah, I mean, obviously you mentioned there, you know, what you enjoyed, and I guess we haven't really touched on that, but this is you know this whole process is to, is supposed to be fun, so I guess that is a, that's a really key point, isn't it? That you know you do have to, well, you don't have to, but it helps if you enjoy it because I suppose if you enjoy. The training you're doing you're more likely to do it aren't you you are you are and that consistency is is really important um what, what i should say is when we when we sort of laid out that example training week earlier um every so often especially with some of the athletes that we work with we we do schedule in just an unstructured ride you know so um a ride where there's just freedom from um you know the, the structured intervals or the um the the very prescriptive training um, if you include that every so often, it just gives that that cyclist a nice break from from that. And uh, you know, if it's every sort of you know once every uh, meter cycle, then you know it's not going to derail the whole training. And actually, it could it can it can improve things because that athlete just enjoys uh, the, the training the training that that little bit more. Yeah, exactly. And no, I, I completely agree. So let's talk about. Um what to do if something goes wrong uh, because obviously with any plan it, it's very unlikely that we'll we'll all kind of you know, write it down and we'll, we'll just kind of complete it to to the letter exactly as it's written down what you know what first of all kind of what should you do if you if you if you have to miss a workout for whatever reason you know like work life family etc or you, you know you just you just can't you just don't feel motivated that day. Is it worth kind of cramming that in on another day or just skipping it completely? You know, what, what would you, what would you say to an athlete who misses a workout? I would say generally speaking on a, on an individual workout basis, it's better just to um, put it behind you and move on. Um, That's especially true if uh, you missed that workout because you were particularly tired and you were, you needed the rest. Um, It's, it doesn't make sense to, to cram that workout in later because you just, you know, you, you're essentially just putting that stress somewhere else, um, and you, you may not recover from that um, as well. So, uh, if if it's if it's a string of workouts, usually it helps to then sometimes go back, um, to take a step back, and um, and and go from there. But uh, on a sing on a single workout basis, in most cases, it's better just to 
to put it behind you, kind of work out why you might have missed it and how you could potentially uh, improve that situation in the future, but um, but not dwell on it too much and just sort of continue on with the plans normal. Yeah, and I suppose you touched on it there a little bit. That my next question was going to be, you know, how would you kind of deal with illness or an injury or something like that? But is it the case that, like you say, if you have to miss, say, you know, a week or two weeks of training because you, you know, you've just got a cold or, or you know, you have a like a, a dodgy knee that's been aggravated, again, is it is it a kind of question of just maybe uh, stepping back, resetting the plan, kind of two weeks behind, and just kind of going from there, or rather than, ca- or or is it better to just kind of like you say, just discard those and carry on with the plan as normal? Yeah, obviously, it's going to depend on the uh, the individual situation, how how serious it is, and how um, you know, you know why why that those string of sessions was missed. Um, generally speaking, it's just better to be conservative. So if you have some doubts or some questions, it's better to just reduce the you know what you've actually got planned to do or just uh take a break from it until you feel feel better and then at that point yeah you just have to assess i suppose on an individual basis how you know uh how far you should go back and what makes you know what makes the most sense to as a, as a new starting point you know maybe a week or two weeks behind okay that's all really good and uh let's just say so we, we we've kind of we've gone through our training plan we're getting into the summer months and we're getting up to our goal you know you mentioned this slightly earlier about kind of mental preparation uh as well and in that kind of you know if you've done all this work in in the kind of months leading up to your kind of goal event or goal events you know what what does that kind of last month or last few weeks of training look like obviously you know we hear a lot about people you know trying to peak for events you know is that something that we you know us amateurs should be doing and kind of what what can we be doing in those last weeks to kind of mentally prepare ourselves for our event as well yeah so depending on your uh, training volume that you're doing you probably most people are going to want some kind of taper um going into going into their event a taper being a period where you uh reduce the training load uh, so that you remove any fatigue that might be a barrier to you actually using that fitness that you've built up. So you could get to, you could get to an event or two weeks before an event and actually have the potential for a really good performance. But if if the fatigue is also high with that fitness, then that's going to kind of get in the way of you actually showing it in the real world. So you just need to you know scrub off some of that that uh, that fatigue to allow you to actually have a good performance. Um, so that's so that will be the taper, and then up to that point, your training is generally going to be getting more specific to the demands of your your event. So you'll start off building sort of general fitness, then you'll go through a period of just getting more and more specific, um, so that you're actually trained for the demands of the event. And then the final kind of piece is achieving that peak where you take take the fatigue away, and hopefully then everything aligns for a a good performance right on that day of the event. Yeah, exactly. And and I think in terms of, you know, I always find that if, you know, again, this is kind of where the fitness testing can kind of come into its own in the sense that if you've kind of, if you've, if you've been, you know, you've been good and you followed your plan and you've kind of done all the work and, you know, your fitness test hopefully should give you some good results. And then you can kind of take confidence from that because, you know, you kind of know where you're at, right? Like you, if you do a, a decent fitness test, you should have a, generally speaking a kind of good idea of how you'll perform in your event yeah i think if you've been diligent in actually using that information throughout the plan to improve it and improve it and and make sure you're keeping on that that right path then 
um, yeah, that should that should have resulted in you getting fitter as the plan went on, which is good for that that confidence. And then if you've made your training more and more specific, then you're at that point very accustomed to what the the sort of uh, you know the sensations of what you're going to be experiencing in the in the event. So that familiarity breeds quite a lot of confidence when you come into the actual uh, into the actual event. Great. Well, I hope that has kind of helped inform everyone how to go about building a training plan. I think, you know, personally, I found that really useful and I'll be, you know, going back to kind of, you know, write down a few of, few of my plans for the years as well. And so I guess all that leads me to do is to say uh, thank you very much to Tom for joining us and, and sharing, your expect, sharing your expertise with us. Yeah, thanks, Simon. Uh, really enjoyed that. Great. And if people would like to learn more about you and your kind of coaching services, where can they find you? Yeah, so our um, company is uh, High North Performance. The website's highnorth.co.uk. And then I have, um, I suppose, a profile on some of the main social media networks. So uh, Twitter, YouTube, uh, Strava, etc. Yeah. And obviously, you know, you've been very generous with your time in coming to do this podcast, but on your website, there are, there's quite a few kind of, uh, good in-depth articles about training and training plans and the kind of, you know, a lot, even some of just the kind of science behind, uh, some of the kind of training techniques that you use. And so it's well worth, uh, visiting Tom's website if you're interested in reading some of those. And, uh, so yeah, so that just leads me to say, thank you very much for listening to the bike radar podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review if you enjoyed this podcast or leave us a comment on the article on biteradar.com. Again, thanks for listening and until next time, bye. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out biteradar.com. Bike